legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Paul Sutton, author of the blog Against Monolithic Diversity. In the West, a social, political, and intellectual conflict is now raging. The outcome of this conflict will decide whether our countries remain relatively peaceful or if we'll get political violence and civil war. One of the main pillars of this conflict is the trans agenda. The most terrifying aspect of transgender ideology is what should have prevented it achieving anything. A rejection of objective reality, replaced by so-called personal truths and self-validation. Self-worship has triumphed, at least for the moment, over the building blocks of our culture and society. Religion, philosophy, political plurality, artistic expression, science. There are increasing numbers of dissidents against wokedom but vastly outweighed by those who see nothing to gain from challenging this orthodoxy. Aside from those with an unshakable belief in objective truth, many actually don't have much to gain. Yet belief in objective truth is essential in society. If objective reality continues to be rejected in favor of innumerable conflicting personal truths, then our society will not survive. Hello and welcome, Paul, and thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Really nice to be on. Thanks, Paul. Today, we're going to be having a wide-ranging conversation to take a phrase from one of your recent blog posts that concerns the, quote, social, political and intellectual conflict, unquote, which is currently afflicting our society, not just here in the UK, but in the, the West in general elsewhere in the world, of course, but the West is what we're mostly concerned with today. Before we get started, just give listeners a little bit of uh, information about your background and your work in general. Okay, well, um, I've just retired from teaching, which I entered in 2005. Previous to that, um, I'd worked in actually the offshore gas industry. My original background was scientific, uh, and I read chemistry at university and then did a doctorate, a DPhil here in Oxford. But uh, I'd always been a keen writer. And so I kind of did that a lot at university and I've always pursued that. And so when I went into teaching in 2004, I decided I'd had enough of a corporate environment, which I just wasn't suited to. I went into teaching the state sector to teach English and managed to get onto an English PGC, which I knew would really stretch me. And I loved it. I really enjoyed teaching English. But the thing about teaching is other teachers are such a pain, to be honest with you. They're so uh, such a monoculture. And it was apparent to me when I went into teacher training. And then I, I'm amazed I lasted as long as I did, really, because I was very, very outspoken. I was quite good at it, to sound arrogant. but And then I left teaching. I knew I'd have to leave, and it kind of came to a head. Really, 
since 2016, it's become increasingly difficult. So I've recently retired, and I'm now nearly 60 anyway. Yes, well, the education system is a main plank uh, of our talk today, yeah. uh, but and many of the other things that we'll get into actually extend outward from that and relate to it. But perhaps you should say a word, and this will maybe uh, you know throw up some uh, some some highlights of what we might be talking about in terms of subject. I mean, could you give like an account of? what it was that really broke the camel's back, as it were, yeah. when you decided enough was enough. Now, you, you, you spoke about even when you went into training within the system, yeah. which you're arriving at fairly late in life, you know, you, you could see how you, this might frustrate you and you might butt heads, uh, but on you went anyway and enjoyed it a great deal. But obviously, at some point, you know, you could have carried on teaching for a while. Perhaps you can give us an account of, of what it was really that, um, you know, when you decided enough was enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly political. Well, I'm very interested in politics and I'm a passionate free speech person. And the environment in teaching and increasingly is in completely a left liberal monoculture. Uh, and it's become so much so that people can't see it from within. And uh, it's now basically one where kids are just indoctrinated. And I've got a 14 year old daughter and I've seen that from the other side of the table, if you like. And increasingly, I was finding this very frustrating. And I suppose the thing that really surfaced that was different was the trans agenda, which previous to that I'd been, as some, not on the right policy, I'm not on the left policy, I'm completely a free speech person and have different views on different things. But I was always someone who wasn't happy with the programmatic left indoctrination. But that wasn't to me something that was so damaging. What really was damaging was the trans agenda that crept in almost, you know, and the woke agenda, I remember a fellow colleague of mine asked me, what's this woke business? And now they're one of the most woke people you can imagine. So it really did gather incredible momentum from about 2016, 17 on. Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, really, because that, those issues, that agenda, however you like to put it, they were there prior yeah. to that time, in, albeit in more sort of nascent form. And there were certain elements of that have been around much longer, yeah. um, you know, sort of second half of the 20th century and onward but there was um some people have asked why this has become so stressed and promoted yeah. and pushed in the educational environment particularly with with children it's yeah. one, th it's one yeah. thing for universities to be hotbeds of you know all sorts of um <laughs> all sorts of quote-unquote alternative agendas but this thing with children um yeah has had a lot of people looking askance and, and asking, you know, questions again, which they're being basically instructed not to ask. And yeah, a lot of people I think are those who don't even want to express concern about it are mystified. Mm. Go, you know, but however, you'll be one of the people like me who has joined up some other dots and realized, well, that this isn't for no reason and it isn't out of nowhere. And if something is seemingly, if it becomes massive and, and extensively promoted out of nowhere, then you can be sure that it hasn't come out of nowhere. There's a reason for it. And we can get into this as we go along. But yeah. th there, there's, there's, a, there's something driving this. There's no question about it. It's not just schools at all levels, educational systems at all levels, adopting the latest thing. No. You know, it, it doesn't, it's, that's much too um, naive a way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, how long have we got? I mean, if I, I, I've written a recent thing on my um, blog about this where, where, you know, it dates back to critical theory 
and the the ideas behind um, how language is everything. The, the you know theory that I although I read chemistry at university, I then went on and did some English stuff. And critical theory is a grandiose thing. It likes to refer to itself as theory, um, and it, it simply believes that it it composite language as everything, and that is behind a lot of this, where language becomes almost totem a totem thing, and um, the increasing uh, indoctrination that go, has been going on in universities so that the new cadre of graduates, teaching is a profession, which has always got a huge influx of new people into it. It relies on that because people do get burnt out very quickly. I went into it when I was 40, but it's mostly young grads who go in. And I really noticed a change from about 2016 onwards with people who really uh, – had been inculcated in the idea that you have to know platform people, you have to have no discussion, these people are dangerous, etc. And they then applied that in the classroom. And that is what's so invidious about it. So the, 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 it does originate in academe, as all things do. And it's really as massive a change as, say, happened in the 60s. This is really important. And I noticed it amongst young relatives of mine at university, how they... They were defending, um, you know, safe spaces was the first time we ever heard about this in universities and, and the idea that certain people had to just be cut off. And the idea, you know, that offence was something that you could simply claim subjectively and that was enough to say that you had been damaged. All of that is bundled into this. But what's so bad about it is you're taking... These are very highly educated graduates and people who are effectively imposing this on kids who are, you know, well, it goes on in primary schools, but I I only ever taught in secondary. Yeah, I've always realised, even when I was was at school, there's a a difference between even what we call intelligence and sort of common sense. Mm. Uh, The the two do have an overlap, but quite often they can be, um, they can be, they can be operating as opposites. I, I certainly had um, my teachers were a mixed bunch, particularly I'm talking about secondary school now when you start to become more developed yeah. um, as a human being yourself, you know, you start to really get develop your own identity and your ideas about the world. And there were some good teachers whose company I enjoyed and I thought they were good at what they did, good communicators. They could get you excited about even quite mundane subjects. You know, they could show what, what, you know, why that this was relevant in the real world. But I also saw people with qualifications dripping off them Mm. who couldn't tie their own shoelaces, couldn't open Mm. a a tin of beans, um, had completely dysfunctional private lives. And I thought, well, but these are people that are purporting to sort of show us how to live. And then it started to occur to me that why is school about, supposed to be about a vision uh, Mm. for your life or anything like that? I, I didn't, I never saw that as the role. I thought it was like somewhere that I could learn to read and write Mm. You know, some of the basics, if that wasn't happening at home, and I could get a grounding in a you know a broad based range of topics, and then I could begin to increasingly mm. select for myself from that. But there was this, oh, this kind of idea that it was more of a lifestyle thing. You mm. know, they wanted you from first thing in the morning to as late as they could manage, and you know, uh, from the earliest age possible as well. And mm. the, the same idea plays out in politics. You know. Anytime a politician says that they have a vision yeah. for Britain or whatever, you should run. <laughs> Reach you know, for your revolver. Yeah, Reach ba- for your revolver. Yeah, basically, and not to commit suicide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, politicians, is, you know, it should be administrators. I know we say civil ser- servants do that, and the politicians are there offering this, you yeah. know, 
bigger vision, but these people should be ordering, taking delivery of, and counting paper clips, basically, as yeah. I see it, not trying to like, manage people's lives. And so as far as the education system goes, that I say I learned that really at quite an early age, and that set alarm bells ringing for me. And it made me ask why I was even had to be part of this system in the first place because I didn't sign up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember once, just once being put in detention at, uh, at grammar school, and the detention involves staying for one hour after everyone else had gone home and you had to go and sit in the library on your own. What paradise, you know? Uh, yes. <laughs> Way more books than I could ever have access to or afford and you could just browse them for an hour. Yeah. Well, that's some brilliant points in there. Really good. I mean, one of the things is this ideological uh, passion that some teachers have, which, you know, the, the most heartless of all tyrannies, to quote someone, is the tyranny of ideas. And unfortunately, far too many teachers, and that tends to be from the left, are very ideological. And they do see themselves involved in an ideological struggle. And that is often leads to, I think, directly to bullying, you know, of, yeah, particularly boys, actually. 75% of teachers are women. Uh, there's a lot of very strident, uh, and I've got no problem with that. I was brought up by a strident feminist and everything, but, um, you know, sometimes they are lose all sense of proportion they're dealing with young adolescents. That's one of the issues there. Uh, another one, of course, is that um, you're dealing as a teacher with people who really will believe what you say and it's so easy for this to become indoctrination. And that really on the trans thing is what's been happening. But I've increasingly been delighted for my own daughter, but also from pupils I taught who are now really rebelling against this. And we this is the thing you read by me, that the cat, cat gate or litter gate or whatever in that Sussex school, that was marvellous to hear those girls just say, no, sorry. And increasingly, and they were threatened with the dreaded Miss Willis, you know, you'll have to go and see Miss Willis about this. But um, they stuck to their guns and fair play to them. And we're just saying, no, I just don't agree with this. And unfortunately, and that's one of the things that's marvellous about kids. That's where there's real hope in this. They don't like and they will spot inconsistencies and nonsense. And that one where the girl and the cat, I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying for, for listeners who are not familiar with this, particularly from overseas. Okay. It was just a, an example of one of many such incidents. And it was in it was in a primary school, I think, wasn't it? No, it was a secondary school. Though, oh, okay. So, it, okay. So, it, yeah, secondary school. That's just, you know for teenagers, uh, for people outside the UK. And one of the pupils in one of you know this sort of identity war that's going at the minute. You can be whatever you claim to be. Said that they identified as a cat. Uh, some pupils took exception to this and were slammed, shut down by their teacher, and it, the whole thing exploded in the media from there. And mm. there was uh, there was an investigation into it, and I couldn't even be bothered following up what happened. But your your point is valid. The point is that some of these kids call bullshit on it. Mm, absolutely, they recorded it as well. So it, initially, one a lot of things will happen with this. People say that's nonsense. This is like when they used to say "bar bar black sheep" has been banned. People saying political correctness gone mad. Nonsense. Well, they recorded it, and she was banged to rights. This teacher because it starts with her going, "How dare you." How dare you laugh at her when she says she's a cat? And the girl's like, she's not a cat. What do you think? And it's unbelievable. It's really so perplexing because she simply is saying, you can't argue with this. And she even says to these girls, you know, you should consider leaving the school. 
And one of the girls says, well, my mum would disagree. Well, I think it's very sad as well. And that's a terrible thing with kids if you ever imply anything about their families. So the whole thing it was used, and this is why you, you read my blog about it, and I said I'd seen this coming. The tidal wave was about to hit schools. And I did say to our head when I left, he was a good man, uh, you know, you're going to face things where parents will find out about some of the indoctrination that's been going on that, frankly, is ridiculous. Yes, well, your blog is entitled um, Against Monolithic Diversity. Yeah. And funny enough, just prior to discovering it, um, I'd created this meme, um, not original by any means, but it was just, it's, it was around the whole um, uh, pride thing and the, the enforcement yeah. of that. Again, which I've got, you know, people just be what you want, you know, yeah. express yourself however you want, emotionally, physically, and you're not harming other people, but don't insist that the rest of the world has yeah. to uh, kowtow to it. Well, just, you know, be free, go ahead. But, you know, we don't, everyone doesn't have to share, share the same worldview in the same idea of of what constitutes a good life or good behavior and we in my meme i just said it was uni uniformity yeah in the name of diversity so it was like you all must be me be diverse <laughs> it's a bit like the the you know sort of the non-binary thing yeah you know advocates saying we we, we know we are non-binary we are non-binary we refuse to adhere to your binary system of male and female okay that's fine knock yourself out please again however you'd like to express yourself Go ahead, but just be aware that in in some of these individuals and groups, you know, claiming this non-binary thing is like really, really important, and, and everyone else being pejoratively labelled as binary, yeah, that in, it, that in itself obviously is a binary system. Well, exactly. Yeah. This is such a, a crucial point, and the, the cis. I, I object to that. I'm heterosexual, but that doesn't make me. A, but cis, I'm not going to be labelled cis, and it seems to me, in fact, that teacher said to the girls, "What gives you the impression?" that being cis is, is normal. And one of them said, well, it is. And she's like, I think that's a disgusting thing to say. But actually what the kid meant was not that there's anything wrong if you're not, but the majority of people are. And there's nothing wrong with someone saying that. And this is something that kids are really alien. It's very alien to them. The idea that you deny objective reality. And as originally as a scientist, at a high level, I go to doctorate, I won't stand for anyone who just says, oh, there's no such thing as objective reality. It's, it's something I've always taught. And increasingly, that's the problem with the trans movement. They, they're saying, oh, it's all relative. That's nonsense. You know, nobody says that. As someone once said, nobody believes in the absence of scientific truths at 30,000 feet up in a jet plane. You want that to stay in the air and you need it to. And you believe in the laws of aerodynamics. You don't think it's all, no, it's all relative. I can say whatever it is. If you don't believe there's such a thing as gravity, it's just a word. Go to the top of the shard and jump off. You know, it's not true. There are objective truths out there. Well, it, some people would consider the word "normal" to be problematic, but if, if because you know it's become loaded, and as we talked about limits of language, you know, the language can evolve and change. It can be manipulated. Yeah. It can be expanded and contracted. But if you just take it to mean the norm in terms of, for example, yeah. the majority. So even if you take that out, I mean, these kids were sort of saying that, well, the whole cis thing or you know heterosexuality is quote unquote normal what they're simply really expressing is the idea that it's sort of the majority of people yes. and that's neither good nor bad. It's just the way things are. Yeah. You know, it, it, sorry. Didn't mean to, you no, 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 no. Uh, exactly, what you're going to say is that they weren't, you know, they weren't uh, condemning anyone. No, they weren't making a moral judgment. This is no. the point. It's not a moral judgment there to say, well, the majority of people are that way. And everybody knows the history of discrimination and all that, which is wrong. And it's true that majorities can discriminate, often do against minorities. But 
that doesn't mean recognizing the existence of a majority means you support that. That's the problem. It's a very bad mistake to make that simply someone recognizing objective reality is therefore going along with something that is associated with that, but doesn't mean just recognizing it. And it's really cruel to kids at that age as well. One of the parents of those girls said, why are they doing this at that age? Now, I know the argument being, they have to do all that. Well, actually, it's a very good point. They're going through puberty themselves. Do they need to be bombarded with that? It doesn't mean it should be hided, hid away from them, sorry. But do they need to be launched into that? 60, uh, 57 different genders? Hmm. No, they've got, you know, enough, even if you have a relatively trouble-free kind of, uh, you know, adolescence, as I was consider that I did, there were still, yeah. you know, difficult times, difficult periods, you know, self-questioning and just wondering about, you certainly dramatize things when you're a teenager in a way that yeah. in later years you go, well, that was pretty daft, you know, but uh, hey, that was, um, you know, hormones and everything kicking in. That's it. And, and you know, it has become performative. This is the problem with it. It's very performative. And that is so key to all this. You know, uh, my last year at school, I was doing a lot of PSHE because I'd had health problems and I'd been off and I came back and I had a reduced timetable. And the PSHE lessons, I was directly in the belly of the beast on all this. And you know, I had a year nine group where, you know, about half of them said they thought they might be trans or whatever. Now, it's not for me. I didn't. I was very fair. I wouldn't go, oh, that's ridiculous. But, uh, well, that was unheard of before, really. You know, when I started teaching, the great issue was self-harming and anorexia. So these things do have a contagion about them. There wasn't any trans stuff. Whereas now all teachers will get an email saying, can you please refer to Daniel as Daniela, but please don't discuss this, just it's it's happened. And that increasingly, uh, a lot of other teachers, although people didn't like even asking about it, would think, well, can I not know something about this? Because it's very important. And almost always, not always, but almost always, these were people pupils who had problems. So, it, you know, the, the, a lot has happened without teachers talking about it because they've been too scared because of the transphobic label and everything. I mean, look at all the progress that was made uh, throughout the 20th century mm. and particularly in um, making life in most societies in the world yep. better for, for, for gay people, mm. uh, for women in terms of like, you know, get, getting rights to all sorts of things, being able to, you know, become equal in so many ways, you know, equal, equal in ways that were possible and desirable and uh, yep. with, with men. And, you know, that's still an ongoing thing. And then you look at racial equality and, and how much yep. good was done then. And I've had people on as guests who've pointed out that, a lot of what's occurring now, not so much, well, they, they could say that the Black Lives Matter thing, they could point to that yeah. in, in the US and in some other parts of the world. But with the trans thing and, um, you know, how much this threatens some of this progress. Absolutely. That's such a brilliant point, Greg. I mean, this, and I know um, from gay people who are friends of mine, they feel very uneasy. And we've seen actually the um the lgb the, the alliance thing with that legal thing a lot of the um the trans side of it has been uh, so intolerant so and of course we've got the arguments with your kathleen stocks and people the the feminists who quite rightly i think are saying i'm sorry you just can't identify as a woman there is a biological difference it isn't for you to just say that it's not just something you can do and that issue uh Again, when you're dealing with very, you know, pubescent uh, kids, um, wow, it's a very difficult thing to be, because a lot of them, you know, the, the issues to do with homosexuality and, and homophobia 
um, are by no means solved in schools and everything. And, uh, you know, and I was always very firm on that. But the problem is you hear far more about transphobia now. And that when you tell kids about these issues, they'll be used for bullying. They'll be used as accusations that so-and-so is transphobic, so-and-so is this and this. It just all the time will happen. Um, and it has hijacked the whole thing. And uh, you were asking for reasons earlier, Greg, about why it's happened. There has been direct entryism here, to be honest with you, which is something that's always gone on with movements which are very aggressive, entryism. And teachers are very hard-worked, hard-working on the whole, very, very stressed, very busy. So it's been very easy for the, for material to get into schools, ready-done lessons and lesson plans, without enough checks on them, to be quite honest. Yeah, well, you have also related to that general crisis in education in terms of you know teacher recruitments mm. and particularly with certain subjects you know I've, I've heard stories of like you know geography teachers taking physics classes mm. and teachers taking classes that they've never ever been trained to do because they just need to make up the numbers and supply teachers it just the whole scene sounds horrific and i've got friends of my age teaching in different at different levels from primary through to secondary public private schools uh, mm -hmm. right through to colleges and universities even some people who are teaching you know they, they, they've had spent their whole life in academia and uh you know and they've reflected some of these things back to me so well well you know there's always been uh, for instance when i was training i was trained in 2005 you know it was clear that there there was um some nonsense being smuggled in then i went on a divert then it was the great thing was diversity i went on a diversity course i remember at banbury school this was doing my pgce and um i was there was a lady giving a talk there who was telling us about systemic racism and everything like that. And uh, I was gobsmacked to be told that gravity was invented in Africa. So, you know, and I said, I'm sorry, gravity wasn't invented anywhere. And she was, uh, oh, yeah, it is difficult for some people to accept this. And I was like, well, it's not so much difficult. It's just, it's, it's nonsense. What do you mean by gravity is invented? It's one of the five, six fundamental forces of the universe. It's not invented anywhere. Yes, but well, it, it was just a kind of nonsensical thing. And then the lady, the same person, and I don't doubt that her message and her probably her intention was good, but it was just absolutely absurd. What really distressed me was so few people on my course were, were really had any time for me saying that. And then I was told by this lady, um, Darwin's Origin of Species, was written to justify the slave trade in the British Empire. And I had to point out, well, Darwin's Origin of Species came out in about 1858. The British Empire abolished slavery in 1837. That's not to say we haven't got a, a deplorable, you know, there were bad things happen. But again, this is stated as a kind of, and the way it was reacted to was, yeah, some people find this very difficult to talk about. And I can see, you know, you're one of them. It's like, I'm sorry, these are just the facts. I mean, just look at the dates of publication of this. And that's happened now writ large with the trans stuff where people are just saying this is just nonsense and that's the row that I got into at school that kind of precipitated me going but I was always aware that would happen sooner or later well regarding trans agenda uh, trans issue if you want to accept yeah. that there's an agenda there I just quote from one of your uh, recent blog posts the most terrifying aspect of transgender ideology is what should have prevented it achieving anything yeah a rejection of objective reality replaced yeah. by personal truths that's in quotes that are by definition relative and self-validation self-worship has triumphed at least for the moment over the building blocks of our culture and society religion philosophy political plurality artistic expression and science 
So in all of that, you boil that down, self-worship is triumphed. And it really is that, you know, the century of the self that they talked about, didn't they? Um, That's where we are right now. And it's like, it's all very well to have all your subjective um, your identity, opinions, ideas about things. But as you said, when you use the um, the idea of, you know, jumping off the top of a yeah. uh, skyscraper uh, because, you know, I don't know, you identify as, a, as a, you know, an albatross or that yeah. you, you think that gravity is, is um, a subjective, you know, transphobic concept or whatever, you know, <laughs> find out the hard way about that so and and, and this is really really dangerous because we're indulging this stuff not just to the point where it's an affront to um, objective reality but it's actually starting to cause harm now or it has been for a while and that looks like looks like unfortunately i know you we talk about pushback and that's good but i do think it's set to become worse before it gets um if you want to use the word better yeah, bang on. You're right there. We haven't seen it flush through the system yet. We, you've got the, the positive side where kids are great realists and they're great bullshit spotters. On the other hand, they're also very susceptible to this. And, you know, I was, I'm reminded of the moment in that brilliant TV um, series on Chernobyl, you know, the dramatisation of Chernobyl, when, I don't know if you saw that. Um, Do you see it, Greg? I can't remember, to be quite frank with you, um... Uh, no, I'd have to go and look up the particular one you mean, but it- it's a dramatization of Chernobyl over a number of episodes. And it, it, initially, um, you've got these scientists saying, well, you know, this is some of them saying these readings are off the scale and, and the party people saying, you can't be saying that that's not happened. That's not happened. But you've got reality there with the reactor with its thing blown off and the and then you have to face reality. So reality will always come back and bite in the end. It's how much damage it's done. You know, that's that. I wrote another blog where I had quoted that Ayn Rand, who's an interesting figure. I struggled through her enormous book, Out of the Shrugged. Um, and she's this great, you know, very rare writer who's not on the left, really. She isn't really that great a novelist. But anyway, there's a brilliant quote by her, the famous quote saying, um, and I'm probably paraphrasing, you can, deny, you can deny reality, but you can't deny the effects of denying reality. And that's what will eventually come back here. Well, you talked about language and the manipulation thereof and the whole Chernobyl thing. That was very Orwellian. Oceania has never been at war with East Asia. Um, Next day, Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. Okay. And then the cognitive dissonance that that generates in people. So language plays an enormous part in this. Shifting definitions is one of the most insidious for me where, you know, the meaning of words has changed. I personally will never struggle uh, to tell you what a woman is, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, just that's pretty well defined. But we have this thing now where, the, you know, I say that the meanings of words is being, <laughs> to put it politely, evolved. But if there if there's something that new, genuinely, that we need a new word for, well, we language does evolve in a positive sense. We can have a new word for something, mm. some new phenomenon. We don't have to hijack. A, you know, a very widely used other definition for something else or a word that's symbolic of something else that's widely understood and uh, undermine that to the point where it can't be used anymore. But yeah, it's pure Orwell, you know, attack the language to, you know, first of all, to, to undermine people's sanity for want of a better expression, generate that cognitive dissonance, make people shut down psychologically because, you know, they, they can't stand that feeling yeah. of uh, of the cognitive dissonance. 
and well, also can you know control the parameters of language you control the way people think you know in 1984 uh you had the new speak and mm. that the idea was there to control people's ability to think clearly by simply reducing the number of words available mm. to them mm. and also by flipping definitions overnight then that you know you can't trust your own thoughts anymore because our our thoughts you know the voices in our own heads tend to be in terms of language don't they you know as you're thinking something through many people will have that inner monologue like a voice in their head as they work something out you know yeah i mean there's so much there I, you, you're so it's so relevant you bring you all up i mean it's an embarrassment. I, I above all, Orwell was the writer I would always be using in teaching, and he was so perceptive. And of course, in 1984, his great perception—it's misunderstood—wasn't so much in saying that Stalinism would triumph. He, what he did foresee, what he was so prescient about, was how language would be the key to this. And there's a the characters in 1984 who are manipulating language. Above all, there's a character called Symes who there's a horrible bit where he says, it's a beautiful thing destroying words. Every day there's more, there's fewer and fewer of them. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>